listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Sandy Forbes. We have uh, the blessing privilege to have uh, Sandy Forbes with us this morning. She's going to speak. Jim and Sandy have been part of our church for a number of years, and I was thinking about the Forbes. I've known the Forbes for over 20 years. And there's the, um, that famous stanza of the um, chorus, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. If you've been saved more than five years, you're becoming members of the Through Many Dangers, Toils, and Snares, I Have Already Overcome Club. And I like, I, I really, I appreciate people who, um, I'm actually the most impressed with those whose faith has stood the test of time, even in the face of setbacks and prevailed, whether circumstances changed or not. And Jim and Sandy are one of those couples. And so this is Sandy Forbes, and let's welcome her this morning. Thank you. Well, good morning. Um, I assume that some of you are somewhat surprised to see me standing up here, but I guarantee you that there's no one as surprised as me. (laughs) I have a little bit of a cough, so. I shared at the women's meeting a few weeks ago, which was such an honor, And a lot of what I shared there, I'm going to be sharing again today. So it'll be a repeat for any of you that were there. But if you're like me, um, you know, sometimes it takes a few, few times of listening something to really get it, or there's always new. And you know, the spirit of the Lord is always new and always speaking. So I trust that there's something new and fresh, even if, even if you were there that night with me, um, that there's something new and fresh for you here today. So I'm so honored to be here. And to serve you all today. Ephesians 1.18. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you will know and cherish the hope. To which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The Passion Translation says. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation. Of the hope of his calling. So I want to do a little exercise with you today before we start. I want you just to relax in your chair. I want you to close your eyes. Shake out your hands. Relax your shoulders. And we're going to practice what this verse talks about. Allowing our eyes, the eyes of our heart to be open and as the Lord so perfectly does. Um, we sing about this this morning too, about seeing heaven. So that's what I want you to do right now. I want you to just, in the eyes of your heart, in that mind's eye, I want you to um, see heaven coming into this room. What does that look like? What smells are there? What are you hearing? I want you to see God in this place. Feel the Holy Spirit inside of you. Feel his breath on you. I want to see your heart opening up so that it can receive what the Lord has for it today. What does it feel like to have 2020 vision right now? Okay, thanks. So I want to tell you about a day, about almost 20 years ago, and kind of describe it for you. I remember it so, so well. I was laying on my closet floor. We had a closet that had a few doors between where the closet was and where the rest of our house was, which was great because that was where I would run to lock myself away where no one could hear me and no one could find me. I'd lock myself in there 
and I would throw myself on the floor and I would just let everything go. And I can smell the carpet still. I can see exactly like what the, you know, the, the shape of the room. Um, I can, I, I remember what the air smelled like. I remember, um, hearing the sound of the doors that closed. And I would just rant at the Lord. I would just let him have it. And I would cry out. And I spent countless hours in that place on the floor doing this with the Lord. Round and around and around. Day after day. And <clears throat> crying for him to reach down from heaven and change my circumstances. Now... I was raised in the church. My dad's a pastor. So I fully believe in the power of prayer. I felt like I knew God. I felt like I had a great relationship with God. But suddenly I was in this place where he didn't seem real. The things that I knew about God didn't seem to work anymore. And my big question was like, God, if you saved Jesus or raised Jesus from the dead then you can reach down right now, right now, and you can save my son. And so that was my ask. Right now, why not right now? I mean, aren't we worthy of a miracle? Aren't we worthy of healing? Aren't, don't we qualify to have a miraculous touch from the Lord? Don't we qualify to be raised from the dead in this family? Those were my questions. And... After year after year, and, and things didn't change, and things got worse, crying, asking for my circumstances to be removed, my pain to be removed, I really felt disenfranchised. I felt like I didn't even have a right to my own inheritance as a Christian. And I don't know if there's anyone here today that's ever felt like that in your life. Well, actually, I know there's someone here today just like that. Um, but I get it, and I see you, and I want you to know that you're seen. From this place, you are seen. Because I felt for so many years like I was never seen in church. I wonder, where was my miracle? Why do all these other people have all these chances to get up on the stage and testify, right? To talk about how they've been healed, how their lives have been changed, how their circumstances have been, you know, turned around. And let me just put a disclaimer out there right now. I fully believe and am fully embrace that that is how God works. And that circumstances are changed and people are healed and there is miraculous changing of circumstances. But what I'm here to do is talk about all of the other times when the circumstances aren't changed, right? Okay, so I'm not going to go too much into the story about my son and all that. It's just to really give you context of where I was in this journey so that you'll understand uh, where I'm coming from and, and what's happened to me and what the Lord has to say about this. I'm here to share a truth that changes everything, or at least it did for me. It changed everything in my life. And I want to talk about how to live fully in your purpose with a vibrant life, even if your painful circumstances never change. Okay, so I'm going to share with you three keys today. The number, number one key is honor the struggle. Okay, embrace the pain. We all know that pain and hardship is inevitable, right? It's going to happen. It's just part of life. We all have painful circumstances. We all have loss. We all have sorrow, different things, different circumstances, varying degrees, but it's a part of life and we're going to experience it. Um, Paul writes in uh, the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, 27 through 30, he's, he's writing from prison. And I always think it's so incredible to think about <clears throat> writing from prison and being tortured, but not writing saying, hey, can y'all help me get out of here? Or crying out to the Lord, 
please make this stop. And he talks about not being shaken in that place, being able to stand firm in that place of hardship. And verse 29 says, for God has graciously given you the privilege not only to believe in Christ. I mean, how many here can openly say, I counted a privilege to believe in Christ? Right? Yes. We are all going to embrace that and put our hands up for that. But the rest of the verse says, but also to suffer for him. Same sentence. So the context is exactly the same. So what if we learn to honor the struggle? What if? What if we were able to see hardship and pain and sorrow and loss as opportunity and a gift? The definition of honor is high respect, great esteem, a thing that brings credit, a title of respect, and this part I love. Something regarded as a rare, a rare value or opportunity. It's easy to see trusting, learning, joy, you know, hype, all of that <clears throat> as a gift. But have you ever considered that suffering could be just as much of a gift, maybe even a greater gift? When you honor the struggle, your place of pain actually becomes your place of power. So let's talk about what happens when things pop into our life. <laughs> um, things that are, are hard, that kind of throw us off balance. What starts going through your brain? So let me throw a few things out there that you're probably thinking. Why is this happening? Why now? This is so hard. This is so unfair. I don't deserve this. I'm a child of God. I don't deserve this. I hate this. This person has hurt me once again. And then when we pray, what does our prayer look like? So for me, it would usually look like, God, please, like I said before, please remove this. Just show me what I need to do to get out of this place of pain. And the result of this <clears throat> is it actually makes the problem grow and become bigger and have more power than is actually true. We actually give that pain pow negative power in our life. My husband always loves to remind me when someone I'm complaining about something or I'm talking about something that's hard. He's like, Sandy, remember, it's just neutral. Well, sometimes I just want to hit him. You know, it's like, well, it does not feel neutral. I mean, it feels painful, you know. Um, but the truth is that circumstances really aren't bad or good. They're neutral. What, the, what makes the difference is how you see them, your belief system of them, the truth that you've adopted about them is, is going to change the experience of that circumstance in your life. And so what happens is we start enabling this, this pain and giving it power in our life like a spoiled child, doing whatever it wants, and it becomes bigger than God now, right? And sometimes we even develop uh, proof <laughs> that it's bigger than God. You know, well, clearly, this is not one that he's going to handle. Or he might handle it for everybody else, but he's not going to handle it for me. And he's not going to change it for me. And what this does is this dishonors the struggle. It devalues the struggle. It devalues the purpose of what's in your life. What you focus on consumes you. And the result of this is really a powerless life. Anger, frustration being shut off. <laughs> and I can remember, I don't know if anybody else has thought this, but, you know, just please show me what the quickest way from here, where I feel like I'm dying, to here. Just, just show me, I'll do it, you know, right? What's the quickest way to be comfortable? And I want y'all to know that struggle <clears throat> is necessary to grow. It just is. 
every plant that grows, right, has to go through a dying process and push its way up through the earth. It's not an easy process. No birth process is easy, okay? And that, that feeling of wanting to not have to go through that struggle, it's critical that we override this preference for comfort and embrace a willingness to be uncomfortable, when ease is the goal, <clears throat> you actually live in scarcity. Has anyone ever felt like they are in a scarcity place? <clears throat> you can't hear the Lord. Has anyone ever gone to worship and you see all this stuff happening, but you don't feel it? And you think, okay, this, this week I'm going to read my Bible more. Or I'm going to listen to more praise and worship through the week or whatever it is. <clears throat> and when I was in that place of scarcity, the other thing is I did not have faith for much. But let me tell you something. I had a ton of fear for everything. You know, I was fearful that I was going to be that one person that all this stuff didn't work for. <laughs> You know, that one person on the face of the earth who doesn't get her miracle. I mean, I really believe that. It's ridiculous and it's a sad place to be, but it's the truth of where I was. I really believe that. I didn't believe that God loved me enough to save me. I didn't believe that he loved me enough to save my son. I didn't believe that he was going to choose to rescue me. And the enemy really wants you to believe that pain should be avoided at all costs, right? Because pain is hard, it diminishes you, and it closes you, and it makes you hard. That's what the enemy tells us. Avoid pain. It will diminish you and make you hard. But that is not true. Pain can actually open your heart and become your fuel. It can be the very thing that allows you to be pushed forward into whatever it is that you were put on this earth to do. Not just live a wonderful life, but what were you put on this earth to do? That is on the other side of pain. <laughs> Let's think about this kind of practically for those that are practical thinkers. <clears throat> so think about a baby. We would never stop a baby from learning to struggle to crawl. Or pull up. I have a 10-month-old grandbaby. She's the best. The cutest. And just watching her struggle, sometimes you feel so bad. You know, you feel like, oh, I just want, you know, like I just want you to be able to stand up and stay standing up. She's got these darn teeth in the top that have been coming in for months. And I feel so bad for her. And I was telling my son the other day, I'm like, I just wish we could like just pop them through because it's so painful. But we can't change any of that, right? It's how we're created. It's part of the process. All right. That struggle. You would never tell a woman giving birth. Oh, just when you, when you're in labor, here's what you do. You resist with everything in you to get that baby out. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? We are wired and built to struggle. It is in our DNA. It is in our, the fibers of our brain. We are built to do it. So that's why in something like giving birth, I mean, we know that the way to birth is to surrender, right? To surrender to that process. And think about this. Um, not opposed to ruffling a few feathers. Um, when you have a loved one or a friend that is in a painful situation and you're going to pray for them, which is so awesome. But how often does our prayer look like, you know, God, please remove this. Please take this away. What if we said, God, 
allow us to lift them up and encourage them and help them surrender through this process. What if we did that? Instead of like feeling like we want to just help them avoid the pain. I mean, it's natural to do it. We all do it. I do it. But I just want to throw out there that maybe there's something, another piece to consider in that process. So part of honoring the struggle brings us to key number two, which is surrender. Surrender is a massive secret, y'all. We all know that if a person is drowning, that a lot of times the lifeguards are taught to let that person tire themselves out, right? Before they jump in to save them, that they have to get to the point of giving in, of surrendering to that, um, to what's happening to them so that they can be rescued. And that really is the essence of surrender, right? It's getting to the point where you stop struggling. You stop resisting. When you resist the hard in life, but it looks like this, right? You know, whatever. Don't touch me. It's a posture. And I want to tell you guys something about your brain. What your body does affects how your brain, the decisions that your brain makes and the things that it tells you to do. We've been reading a lot about brains and it's really interesting. I'm kind of a dork, but um, it's true. So this is what what resistance looks like. Okay. What this does is we do it because we don't want to hurt. We do it because we want to protect ourselves. We do it because we don't want to be wounded, right? But what it does is it blocks us from receiving anything that's coming into our life. So anything that God is doing, any help, any rescuing, any um, any good that he is flowing into our life, we just block. There, There is no other way to look at it. I'm sorry to say, you cannot live a life of resistance and expect to have the good flow into your life and still be, re- and still be resisting the bad. Does that make sense? This is called bondage. It's called being held captive. It's called living behind a wall. Okay. It's called being locked up. And let me tell you something. Your destiny is not to be locked up. Okay. Your destiny is not to live in that place where nothing gets through. Resistance is a bad habit. It takes a ton of energy. I mean, think about it. Is it harder to do this? Squeeze your fist really tight or is it harder to relax? What takes more energy, right? It's always harder to resist. It locks doors. It has no power to change anything or to protect you or to bring anything good in your life or to move you forward. Resistance means that you are stagnant. It's like a dam holding back all of the water, all of the potential, all of the power. That's what resistance is. It's a dam in your life. Now, (coughs) sorry. And resistance will never, ever serve you. It does not serve you. Surrender, however, generates energy. It releases all that power that's been backed up and dammed up back there. It opens the doors. It opens the floodgates. It propels you forward. And I can tell you guys, it's not, in my experience, surrender doesn't result in like, oh, okay, now I feel better. Surrender opens this amazing power plant. (laughs) I am so serious about this. My life has changed so much in the last two years since I decided to surrender and stop being angry and resistant 
and angry at God and fearful. And I finally just thought, all right, that's it. I'm going to surrender. And I didn't know what it meant. And I didn't know what the process was going to look like. But it didn't take long. And things started changing in my life. It seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like surrender kind of seems like giving up, like losing the battle, right? But isn't it just like God? So many of the truths are like oxymorons in the spiritual world, right? What's true on earth in the heavenly realm is actually the thing that makes the biggest difference and can change everything. So I guarantee you, if you will honor your struggle, you will realize that surrendering is the very thing that you need to get to your heart's desire. The other thing about resistance and not surrendering is in my own life, I began to realize after I surrendered that when I was resistant and I was closed, I was doing such a disservice to my husband, to my children, to my grandchildren. I was certainly not showing them how to live an empowered life. And I could not even be there to encourage them or comfort them. Or give them the things that they needed. I mean, they were hurting too. You know? And one of the things I was angriest about was the effect that everything was having on my grandchildren. Because you know what? It just wasn't fair for them. They didn't do anything to deserve this. And I was angry about that. I mean, really angry. And when I surrendered, I realized, you know what? I haven't even... I have been so much of a prisoner and a victim... I could not even help my grandchildren walk through this with dignity and power. I hate that. I hate that. I feel like there was years that I wasted where I couldn't give them what they really needed from me. So when you think about resistance, it really is all inward, right? It's all about me. It's pulling everything inward. But when you surrender, it's everything starts flowing out the way it's supposed to. So I encourage you to surrender wholeheartedly. Surrender like your life depends on it. How's that? It does. I assure you it does. There's a couple of lies that I believe that I wanted to kind of just mention real, real quick here. Um, I believe that somehow I deserve to be pain-free. Because I was a child of God. I was a princess of God, or I had been told that. And I believe that. But I thought that because of that, I was exempt from hardship. And that I was due a miracle. I also tied the love of God to the level of the pain that I was experiencing. So what that meant was the level of pain in my life directly related to the level of love that God had for me. The problem with this thinking, y'all, is this person, his name is Jesus. Jesus ruins that whole scenario, doesn't he? Here's how Jesus dealt with suffering. The Bible tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So here's three things that I see when I think about how Jesus dealt with great suffering. He focused on the end game. Okay. So he told his brain, that's where we're headed. This is not where we're staying. That's where we're headed. He knew and embraced his why. We're his why. I mean, how awesome is that? Where is why his relationship with us? And number three, he understood the purpose and the power of the struggle. He understood that there was necessity in that struggle. He honored it. 
again, the birth process is a, is a perfect example of this. I was thinking the other day, no mom in the middle of labor says, oh, you know what? Okay, never mind. I don't want the baby. It's just too hard. I mean, it's not fair that we have to go through all this pain. I mean, he gets to sit there and eat a hamburger. <sighs> True story. And I am dying <laughs> to birth his child. <clears throat> no mom ever says that, right? Because as moms, we are innately wired to see the end game. And guess what? Any struggle in your life, you are innately wired to see the end game. High-level athletes, another good example of, of taking that focus and being able to push through the hard in order to get to some place that's in the future. So let me ask you this. What if your miracle that you have been crying out for, maybe for years, what if it is in the circumstance and not the removal of the circumstance. What if your miracle is in the circumstance and not the removal of the circumstance? So what I want to show y'all is a little, it's another little brain thing. Surrender takes a shift in posture. So remember, resistance is closed off. Surrender is being open. This funny thing happens in your brain when you do different things with your body. When you do this, you're telling your brain, you know, I'm closed. I'm resistant. We're, we're, we're protecting. We're like all out, all out protection mode right now. Okay. So your brain acts accordingly and it tells your body, um, and the rest of you, your emotions, what's going on. But anytime you shift, physically shift, your brain clicks. So if you go from this to this, a shift happens in your brain. And your brain's like, oh, we're not protecting anymore. We're open now. We're free. All organs are working. They're not being covered. Everything's working. So... We can move forward now. I'm not a scientist, <clears throat> but I think that's so interesting that surrender actually rele- releases your brain from resistance and allows it to click into forward movement. So here's a thought for you. What if we told our brain, this is what we're going to do, and we're intentional about it, So think about all the input that comes into your brain every day when you're not intentionally telling your brain what you're going to think about. I mean, there's so much data, right? There's Facebook, all the social media, the TV, conversations with friends, things that happen at work, things that happen with kids, crazy things your kids do, all of that, right? All are messages to our brain, and our brain has been trained how to to react to all of that. So what if we intentionally started training our brain how to react when hard things come into our life? Like we give it a plan instead of just allowing it to default. So influencing your brain to surrender when it feels pain, to embrace everything that's happening. That's good. That's bad the hard, the sorrow, the wonderful, telling your brain, it's okay that we have hardship, okay? We, meaning me and my brain. It's okay that we have hardship. It's okay. We're not afraid to be broken. Mm -mm. We're not afraid. I might feel like I'm afraid, but we're not afraid because I'm not wired that way. We're going to honor the struggle. This pain is our fuel. This pain is what's going to take us to what God has created us to do. So in, t- in thinking about that, 
how do we actually get to where that is our default in our brain? And that brings us to key number three, which is a mindset change. The Bible calls it renewing your mind. It's really renewing your mind is training your brain. Did you know that? It's intentionally telling your brain how to think. Um, Sometimes you don't know what you don't know, right? So funny story. I have always had uh, great vision and not really too many people in my family even wear glasses. And so I never even really thought about needing glasses. And um, a few years ago, about 10 years ago, my husband went and got his eyes checked and he needed glasses. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> you know? So I made fun of him and I teased him and I'm like, so sorry that you're aging and gonna have to get glasses. Cause my family doesn't do glasses. <clears throat> so one day I was, um, reading a little, trying to read a little pill bottle and I couldn't read it. So I thought, hmm. Well, I don't need glasses, but I probably need readers, okay? Um, but I haven't had my eyes checked in years and years and years, so maybe I should go to an eye doctor and just have my eyes checked so that I make sure I get the right readers and, you know, everything's great. So I go in. I'm like, hey, I'm great eyesight, but I think I might need readers, so I just thought I would come in and get it checked. So he does the eye exam, and he comes in a little bit later, and um, he says, well, good news and I have bad news. So the good news is you do need readers for sure. I'm thinking, okay, what's the bad news? It's like the bad news is you can't see at all. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean I can't see at all? I see fine, like I see perfectly. And I didn't believe him. And he's like, no, you, can, you cannot see. <clears throat> so the glasses were ordered and a few weeks later they came in and we went and picked him up, and I'm still thinking, this is whacked. I mean, I can clearly see fine. So we go pick him up, and I'm thinking, all right. So not only did I not that I need readers, but I needed trifocals. So we went and picked up these things, and I put them on, and I'm thinking, ugh. And then I'm like, Y'all, I could not see. (laughs) How did I not know that I couldn't see? (laughs) But see, your brain doesn't know. And my brain just told me I could see fine. And then all of a sudden, I had this correction. And I realized, I don't even know how I had been driving. I'm like, have I been reading the signs on the street? (coughs) Excuse me. So here's what mindset is. Mindset is a fixed mental attitude or disposition that predetermines a person's response to and interpretations of situations. That's what mindset is. And I had wrong beliefs and a wrong mindset based on false info. But I didn't know it because I was just letting my brain go along. I didn't have any evidence to the contrary. So our our brains operate under the laws of sowing and reaping, just like we all know the laws of sowing and reaping, right? You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap in a later season than you sow. And I know that it's easy to, we all know about, you know, that in the physical fields and then in emotional stuff and, you know, stuff in our life. But your brain operates under the, that same, those, that same law. And it doesn't care what's planted. Okay? It will always return whatever's planted in it. It has to. That's a law. It's how God made it. So if you plant corn in a field, you get corn. If you plant wheat, you get wheat. Okay? If you plant fear, then you get the fruit of fear. Anger, confusion, frustration. If you plant surrender, so if you start doing what we were just talking about, telling your brain what, how, how it's going to run things up there, you get the fruit of surrender, which is power and joy and truth and peace. You have the choice. You can choose to value the season that you're in. That's something that Jim and I have started doing. 
We say it every day. We value the season we are in. If today felt like the day from hell, we value that day from hell. If it was the most amazing time, we value that day. You can see the hardship in your life as something that you would actually choose. It's kind of like unforgiveness. We all know that unforgiveness keeps you in the prison, right? Doesn't imprison the other person, it actually imprisons you. Resistance to a situation just keeps you in prison to it. Keeps you locked up. So let's talk about how we sow into the field of our brain. Um, Half a minute later, read 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It talks about seeing the difficulties as a substance that produces for us our eternal weighty glory and focusing on what's not seen. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Again, if you need that for later. But focusing on the end game is key. Not letting fear drive is another key. You know, here's the thing about fear. Jim said the other day, um, he's like, okay, you know, we acknowledge fear. We acknowledge that it's there. We all have fear. God made us that way. But now fear for us has to sit in the back of the station wagon, wagon facing the other way. It doesn't even have the right to, to, to have a voice in the car, honestly. Okay. It's there. We acknowledge it, but it does not drive. We do not let fear drive anymore. Believe that you are built to do hard things. Okay. And I, I know I said that before, but you are built to do this. Own your hardship. Do not let your hardship own you. You were made for more. So reach for it. See it. That's why I read that verse at the beginning in, in Ephesians. We are created to have the eyes of our heart enlightened to be able to see the glories that God has for us. We did a little exercise at the beginning. I did that to give you an example of opening up your heart and telling your brain, we're going to see this. We're going to embrace this. We're going to open this, be open to this. We are going to lean into this. We're not going to resist it. Things happen for you. They do not happen to you. I don't say that anymore. Why is this happening to me? No, this is happening for me. Okay, that's a whole different mindset, right? <clears throat> Two different things. So let me ask you a, few, a question. Do you know why you have hard, hardship and pain in your life? Do you know? Because you were made to grow. Do you know why you have hardship in your life? Because you were made to be great. Do you know why you have hardship in your life? Because you were created to push through it and to lean into it and to build that muscle and to reach higher places and to do amazing things. Do you know that you were created and wired to do this? Do you know why you? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Because you are created to be great. That's why you. That's why you. Because you were wired to do it. Hardship, this is a quote from Ann Voskamp, and I love this. Hardship is the privilege of non-mediocrity, the honor of greatness. Hardship is the privilege of non-mediocrity, the honor of greatness. All right, so I want to, um, it's about time to be done here. I know you guys got to go get your kids. But I wanted to give you, do I have time to give a couple steps? Okay, Um so it's just some practical steps. I'm a very practical person. So <clears throat> here's a couple things that you can do that can actually help you out in this process. Your brain is going to work on whatever you put in it for the last 45 minutes of the day and the first 45 minutes of the day. Another brain, brain factoid. So first is have a morning routine. Okay, my morning routine, I meditate, I read, I pray, I journal, I declare. Not 100% of the time. But I have a morning routine. Um, when I said the word meditate, I don't know if any of you like something inside went, oh, like, wait, wait, what is she talking about? <laughs> meditate. We don't, we're Christians. We don't meditate. 
Well, that's ridiculous. Meditate is in the Bible, y'all. And it's one of those words that the enemy has hijacked, and it makes me angry. So we're going to take it back. Okay? We are told to meditate 23 times in the Bible. All right? Meditate means to become familiar with or to think about something deeply and intentionally. All right? So meditate. There's, there's, if you guys are familiar with Danny Silk, he has an amazing meditation app. That's the one I use. It's great. Um, number two, being intentional. I already kind of alluded to this. Be intentional. Don't just let things come and go in and out of your brain. Tell your brain what it's going to think about. The last 45 minutes of the day, the first 45 minutes of the day. And it's going to do that in the background, believe it or not. Okay? Whatever you go to sleep thinking about, the last 45 minutes and the first 45 minutes, your brain is wired to work on that in the background. So um, make a list. Declare. If you don't know where to start, make a list of what you're afraid of. And then write the opposite, and that's your starting point. Make a list of what you're frustrated with. Write the opposite. Start there. Okay? Um, It could be things like, I'm brave and created to do brave things. I will not let fear or anger or frustration drive anymore. We're going to put them in the back seat. Those types of things. I live in God's economy. That's an awesome one. And number three, um, I didn't bring my phone. So if you have your phone... We really don't have time to do this, but do this today. Is anybody in here that was at the women's meeting? Did anybody do this? Set a reminder on your phone. Do you all remember that? Okay. We all have our phones with us all the time. So this is an awesome way to start intentionally driving what is going into your brain. So you can take your phone, pick whatever it is that you need your brain to start shifting, and set a reminder on your phone. Three, four, five times a day, have it go off. You can set it as a reminder or you can set it as an alarm. I have both. And so when my phone goes off, I pick it up and it says, embrace what you are put on earth to do. Okay? So I see that five times a day. And I mean, it could be like I'm, you know, running and I'm feeling crazy and then it goes off and I, oh, oh yeah, I do. I embrace what I put on earth to do. Yes. Um, It could be things like, I'm not afraid to fail. Um, One of the first ones that Jim did was appreciate life. And it was hilarious because I'd hear him in the room. Hey, Sandy, appreciate life. But it's awesome because you know what? How often do you think that in the day? You don't, right? What do you think? The last thing you saw on Facebook. The last conversation you had with a friend. All right? But what if your phone went off and you looked at it and it said, hey, appreciate life. Think that would make a difference? It's a, it's so awesome, you guys. And it helps you. It's training your brain to start defaulting to those truths. Embrace the hard. Under, honor the struggle. Whatever it is, I'm created for greatness. I want to tell you guys and encourage you that this story is your, this life is your story. It's your story. It's not anybody else's. Okay? It was created specifically for you. You were wired specifically to do it. You were put on earth to do something extraordinary, every single one of you. And your hardship is your vehicle to being fully you. You want to find yourself. You want to get excited about what you were put here to do. Surrender and walk through your hardship. It will change everything for you. You were not created to be mediocre. You were created to be great. And greatness is on the other side of your pain. So how about we get busy living and stop resisting? The last thing I want to say is, you know, I cried out for a miracle for so many years. I mean, most of my adult life, I was pretty tired. But the amazing thing is, I got my miracle. I mean, I can now be the person that I thought I would never be and stand up here and say, y'all, I got my miracle. But guess what? My circumstances haven't changed. They haven't. In fact, there's things that have gotten worse. But we live in a land of miracles now. When you surrender to this, you go from living 
a hard, sad life to now we literally, those of you that know us, you know, we are like miracles are like just pouring into our life. It is crazy time right now. Everything that's happening to us. And that can be yours as well. All right. So let's stand. I want to invite you. I'm going to deck, um, do some declarations. You guys can repeat these after me. Now let's repeat them like your life depends on them. Okay. Let's not repeat them like, you know, I mean, you don't have to, but I invite you. If anything has moved you today, if you're willing to embrace any of this, then let's do this. Okay. Y'all with me? Okay. I have the courage to leap past my comfort zone. All right, let's do it again. I have the courage to leap past my comfort zone. Yes, I see pain as rocket fuel. I embrace my access to God's economy. I have access to miracles. I am not afraid to be broken. I will not let fear drive. God delights in my purpose. I embrace all of life. I honor the struggle. I was not created to be mediocre. I was cre- I was created to be great. Amen. Yes, thank you. What a blessing. Thank you so much, Sandy. Tremendous. I could hear Sandy uh, when Jim got his glasses and she said, you had to get glasses there, didn't you? Hamburger boy. (laughs) Had a hamburger when she was delivering those babies. I cannot imagine. Cheeseburger, maybe. Hamburger. We have teams today that will be glad to pray for you. If you would like to be prayed for healing, um, if you need people to lay hands on you and see if the Lord will speak something encouraging to you, we do that as well. So if you will come over on this side of the auditorium, we'll be glad to help you with that. Meanwhile, let's go have a weekend, okay? God bless everybody. Thank you for being here. What a great day we had. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.